Welcome to the Ivy Church podcast. For more podcasts and information about Ivy Church, go to ivychurch.org. To be honest with you, since we've been here at Ivy over the years, when I first came to the building, I thought, oh, it's a lovely old building. And then after a bit, it became an old building and increasingly, in some ways, less lovely. And there were things that you started to notice, and you'd be like, ooh, that's a bit... Oh. And then often, because as we, a church has grown and people have come and visited us, like people from other nations and stuff, I'd kind of start the story when they came, people from other churches. I'd start to explain that we've, we've been a church that's kind of been on the move, and we moved out of here, and we moved to here, and we moved to there. And, we, and, and so we, we've, we've kind of, we've not neglected it, I'm not saying that, because structurally it was fine, and there was money that's been spent to keep it up. But it wasn't kind of well looked after it was um sort of getting a bit tired and um more than that it needed you know that the floor was was you know bits broken up here and all this kind of stuff there was things that needed to be done and uh, we loved it and you do but um at the same time we want if you love something you should look after it shouldn't you and because we love it, we wanted to look after it. And then the other thing is with it, we hold lightly to stuff because we realise this isn't the church, we're the church. That's what the Bible says. He didn't ever say that the building is a church. He says the people are the church. And so, and the people are supposed to be on the move and going for God all over the world rather than come to church. It's a place that you, it's a people that you go with, not a place that you go to. So we've been that kind of a place and it's been something of an adventure for us to be able to do that. But we've kept on coming back and this has been like the, the, the home base in various ways for us to, to come back to. And uh, then we were saying actually, maybe God wants to do something completely different with this. Maybe we actually get planning permission to knock the whole thing down, build some houses on it, see whether that will raise some money for us to be able to buy some great big box somewhere. And then if we prayed and if we looked and if we thought that through, you know, you, you make plans by getting plans, not just by going, oh, I wonder if. So we, we, we thought, well, let's wonder if. Let's get some plans for getting that done. Let's talk to the planners about it. We got permission to do it. But then we ended up saying, no, that isn't what we want to do with it. We don't want to be just one church in one big box somewhere. We want to be at lots of churches in lots of places all over. But some of you, I don't know, you know, this might be new to you, the idea that God isn't just somebody who spoke, but he's a God who speaks. Um, before I got here, years before I got here, just about year 2000, there was a guy called Mark Isles who came along and he gave this really detailed thing like a prophecy. He basically, like somebody was hearing from God and he said there's going to be a number of things that are going to happen from this building. He said that it's going to be a time when people, uh, there's going to be um, a lot of women who get ministry from here. There's going to be really significant ministries that are going to come out of this church, which was unusual in those days, but it's something that's happened. He said this was going to be a church that was going to unite people, especially around prayer, and lots of people are going to come and, and this would be central to some things that God's doing with regards to prayer in the city. And that's certainly been true as well. But then the third thing that he said was, and it's going to be a church that's going to plant lots of churches. It's going to plant like five churches. And then after that, God's going to do something really significant here. And he said, in this place, he said, will be like, it will be like spokes in a wheel. So that's why we're kind of renaming this as Ivy Central. This is going to be the place that we, we come to and we go from. This is going to be like the, the, the heartbeat. This is, we talked last year, some of us, about uh, the roots going underground. You can't see the roots, but without the roots, the trees don't grow. And they're connected and interconnected. So this is like the, the centre of the church. This is the centre of the hub for lots of things and lots of places and lots of people starting loads and loads of churches here and in Manchester and all over the world. So that's pretty exciting, isn't it? 
that's what this is for, is, is, to, is to do that and to enable that. And we, you know, we want to pray about what else we can do here to make, to make that happen. But it's good you know, just to give thanks for what God has done. It's great to, for us to be able to do that. And I want to say a little bit more about that afterwards. But just for now, we wanted to thank some of the people who've been kind of chiefly responsible for helping to make this happen and to do that in a public way. And there's been a- Let me uh, do this then. I am so, so delighted with what's gone on and all of the work and the way in which everything is just, just works. You know, the, the chairs are nice and the, the, the trolley that they come in is cool and it, isn't, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't make a big line on the, on, the, on the floor when you move it about and all those kind of things. It's, it's amazing. Um, so, I now want to thank... When you came in, some people were giving envelopes, and please make sure you get one if you're a part of Ivy, if you've not got one already, uh, with first fruits on it. We're not taking up any sort of collection at all um, tonight, but we are going to next week across the site, and we, we do this once a year, and we call it first fruits. And the idea is that you're giving to God first, and you're giving to him best, and particularly at the start of the year, that's something that you're going to do. So... If last year, specifically, because we said what, something that we wanted to do was that we were, we were hoping to, to do this building up and that we'd love it if we could even plant a, a new church and maybe that would be one that was especially focused on people in their 20s. That's what we said. Now, as years develop and as plans go on, things change. So the couple of people I was thinking of potentially for leadership of the One for 20s um, were um, Pete Dawson and Lauren. And they've gone and they've started one at the Fuse. But isn't it interesting that it just so happens the way it is that two weeks ago, Fallowfield found themselves homeless suddenly and they're in here now. And that that's focusing on 20s. And I don't know, I'm not saying they're going to stay here, but it'll be hard to get them out, I suppose, once they've been in. <laughs> but we, maybe we're going to want to get them out again and uh, they're going to want to go out again too. But God knows what he's doing. And so I just want to ask... Don't be shy of doing this because, you know, it's good to be able to do that. If last year you gave over and above, I don't just mean, oh, it was the first fruits and you happened to be there and you put a bit of money in like you might normally do. I mean, you thought about it, you prayed about it, you deliberated about it and you decided that you were going to put something in to last year's offering to help to enable this to happen. So I can thank you. Please, can you put up a hand with me? Great. Come on, if you did that. Look at all those hands. Thank you so much. Everybody who did that, because you did this. So give yourselves a clap. And, and so when we do this first fruits thing, it isn't about the church just trying to get lots of money for itself and all those kind of things. It's because we've got projects, we've got things to do. But to be honest with you, we're not the kind of church that we don't ever want to be a church that's just all about getting money for us and doing our things. In fact, in the next couple of weeks, we've already done, done half of it, we're going to be giving about £40,000 away to other people's building projects in the city. Because we're about being one church. And we want to be able to, to bless them as well. We don't, we don't want to just say it's all for us. And this, you might think, well, that's a funny thing for a church to do. Don't churches just have a thermometer outside and get all desperate and want everybody to give to them? Do you know what? When you start doing that, that's when you start to die off and you start to decline. Whereas actually God loves irrational generosity. That's really what amazing grace means, isn't it? If you think about it, it's like that's amazing. Grace is, is giving It's like God's an amazing giving kind of God and we're never more like him than when we go crazy in in terms of generosity. And when we just go, I'm going to, we want to give to that, we want to give to that, we want to give to that. And guess what we found when we do that, God gives to us too. 
And really, a big thing that First Fruit says to me at the start of the year, because I'm like you, I've spent Christmas and we've spent some money and there's things that we could have spent money on. And, uh, and the other week, I was, I was with Zoe and she said to me, she said, um, oh, um, are we still doing this First Fruits thing in a couple of weeks? And I was like, yeah. Thinking, what kind of a, you know, how many times do I have to say it? And, and she said, well, I don't know if people will remember because I, I've kind of forgotten and that money that we've put on one side, I was just thinking we could do this with it or do that with it. And I was like, get thee behind me. <laughs> no, I wasn't. Because it's her, it's her who does the money and sorts it all out anyway. So she's great and does it. But the thing is, what I love about it is we, we put something on one side at the beginning of the year. We're basically saying to God, in faith, you're more important to me than money. You're, you're the one that I'm focusing on. I'm not fearful about the future. I'm faithful about the future and I'm going to trust you. And so there's all kinds of things that I could spend this money on, but instead I'm choosing to, to spend it on you because you are more important to me than money. How do you gauge what is most important? How do you gauge what's most important to a person? I've done loads of funerals over the years and it's often when you find somebody dying or that somebody has died, you discover what was really important to them. And actually what you find out is all kinds of things that my other people in life might decide to put on the list suddenly are not important at all in those kind of moments. They don't start talking about those kind of things. They've got other things on their mind. I looked at my life expectancy yesterday. I know it's morbid. I went on a, on a you can do it. I went online and I got a life insurance calculator and it said, you have 30 years left. 81. And I thought, whoa, that can't be right. So I thought I fiddled, fiddled about with it. I don't smoke, I don't, I don't drink. Uh, I go to the gym and he said, all right, 83. <laughs> and I was like, wow, happy days. The truth is, I don't know how long I've got to live. And you don't know how long you've got to live. None of us knows that. And you know, we don't know when it's gonna happen. I suppose, what will be your last thought? You haven't thought, what will be your last thought? I was thinking about that. I thought, oh, it'll probably be, oh, this is it then. <laughs> suppose this is it, suppose it's happening. I found some famous last words. You can tell a lot about a person, what was important to them by their last words. Here's some, Elizabeth I. All of my possessions for one moment of time. She's actually saying, it doesn't matter about all this other stuff and I'm the Queen of England. One more moment. Beethoven. Too bad, too bad, too late. The comedian Tony Hancock. Nothing to leave behind, nothing to pass on, nobody to mourn me. That's the bitterest blow of all. Philip III, King of France. What an account I shall have to give to God. How I should have lived differently. Who's this next one? <laughs> Napoleon. My ambitious dreams and those of Alexander the Great and Caesar have vanished into thin air while a Judean peasant called Jesus stretches his hands across the centuries controlling the destinies of men and nations. General John Sedgwick in the Civil War said... They couldn't hit an elephant at this distant. <laughs> it's true. Oscar Wilde, either that wallpaper goes or I do. General William Booth, founder of the Salvation Army, said to his son, 
the homeless children, look after the homeless, promise me. D.L. Moody, I see earth receding and heaven opening, God is calling me. Who was D.L. Moody? Some of you know who D.L. Moody was. He was a famous 19th century preacher. Thousands would gather. He came to Manchester, he came to the free trade hall. He couldn't fit all the people in who wanted to come and hear D.L. Moody. He was an American preacher. Uh, he gathered these, you know, crowds of 20,000 people would come. And in one of his meetings, somebody came up to him and handed him a crumpled up note. And it was like an usher who passed it on to him from the crowd. So uh, it, was, it turned out it was from somebody who was like a heckler. And he thought it was a notice, so he opened it up and it, and it just had the words scrawled across it in big letters. One word, fool. So D.L. Moody said, I've just been handed a note containing the single word fool. This is very unusual. I've often heard of people writing letters but forgetting to sign their names. <laughs> but this is the first time I've ever heard of anybody who signed their name but forgot to write the letter. See, D.L. Moody knew who was a fool and who wasn't because the Bible tells us. Jesus told us a story about who was a fool. He called it the story, we call it the story of the rich fool. He never called it that. Let's just read the story. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones and there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself... You have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you've prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with anyone. Say anyone. Anyone, anyone who stores up things for themselves but is not rich towards God. See, if you or me were writing the story of that man's life or his obituary, we'd think he was very smart. And the newspapers would probably say he built great buildings and he did wonderful things and he had all these successful businesses. They'd say that he was a success. But the epitaph that God wrote at the end of his life was just one word. Fool. He was a fool. Because he was all about trying to have a great life. But he hadn't done anything great with his life for God and then it was over and it was too late it's an interesting thing about human beings that this guy seemed to forget what everybody knows we he didn't live as if he knew that he was going to die I was I think I was seven I was seven when I found out that I was going to die there was a guy called Stephen Ward on my estate was a horrible boy and he just said we're all going to die and I was like, I wasn't even talking to him. And I was just trying to blow out my birthday candles. <laughs> but I think he was just kind of excited. Like he knew something that he just found out and he wanted everybody to tell, to know, tell everybody, which is why he probably didn't have many friends or get invited to many birthday parties. <laughs> but it was like, I found out, I remember thinking, oh wow, one day I'm going to die. And, and it's like, you can live as if that isn't the case, but you miss out on a lot of life, actually, by not being prepared for that moment. The earlier you can prepare for that, the better you can live life now. Because we all know it, but we don't really want to know it. We've all only got so long to make a difference and to figure out whether you're going to live just for you or whether you're going to live for God in this life and for everything good 
in this life because this guy didn't actually make himself rich. If you look at it, it says the ground produced a harvest. Who made the ground? Who made the crop? God did it. But he forgot that. It was as if he'd done it all himself. There's no such thing as a self-made man. So it's not the story of the rich fool. This is the story of anyone. This is the story of anyone who decides to just look after themselves and store up things for themselves and live as if they're God really and as if there's no God. God says ultimately, doesn't matter how clever you are, doesn't matter how wise you are, doesn't matter how many degrees you've got, if you live like that, you're a fool. How will you measure your life? That's a 90-year-old human life in years. Apparently, I'm unlikely to get there. <laughs> but I look at that and I think, where am I on there? Let's have a look at another one. This is a 90-year human life in months. Every row is 36 months. That's three years. That's a row. That's a 90-year-old human life in weeks. That's it in days, all the days. The Bible says, teach us to number our days aright so that we may gain a heart of wisdom. To recognise each day is a gift. Some people, it just seems like they didn't get many days. They didn't get many gifts. But the interesting thing for me when I saw that was, everybody here, even if you live to be 90, you could fit it all on one page. How are you going to spend your life? How am I going to spend my time, my month, my days, my weeks, my life? In the autumn of 1882, D.L. Moody came over from the USA specifically to speak to some students at Cambridge University. And then he took the boat home again. And I'm so glad that he did because it was there that was a wealthy young man who was studying from Manchester. His, his name was Oliver Brockbank. That's him when he was in his early 60s. And he was a rich man. A rich young man. Had everything going for him in his life. And he was at Cambridge. So he was a clever young guy. And then he heard from D.L. Moody about Jesus. And he decided, I'm going to live for Jesus now. And so he thought, how am I best going to do that? I need to tell other people about him. I need to not just keep this good news to myself, I need to tell other people. And he realised that local people, ordinary people, working class people, wouldn't go to the, the parish church. They didn't have the clothes for that. They, weren't, they, you know, they wouldn't really, in some senses, fit in. It was a bit upstairs, downstairs. So he thought, I need to reach out to ordinary people. So he told his gardener, Mr Green, about Jesus. And Mr Green said, yeah, I'd like to become a follower too. And so then he said, well, how do you reach your friends? And he said, well, let's invite some around for tea. And on a Saturday, Mr Green and... Oliver Brockbank had a little tea party and they invited about nine or ten men around and they talked to him and Mr Green told about how he'd become a Christian and Oliver Brockbank told her about how he'd become a Christian and said, tomorrow we're going to start a little gathering here. We're going to call it Didsbury Men's Bible Class. Why don't you come back and you can read the Bible? So they said, okay, and six of them did the next day. That's how it got started. That was down the road on School Lane. And then it, it grew a bit, so they moved into another house that he owned, which was called Ivy Cottage, which is just on the other side of the road. You can pass it as you're walking down. And then it, there was too many people started to come, and women came too, and they couldn't call it Didsbury Men's Bible Class anymore. <laughs> so they called it Ivy Cottage, because that was where everybody was going to. And then he even built a little extension on the side of it for all the other people who were coming along. No, no go back again. You see the extension that he built on the side? for all the people who were coming along. And then after a bit, one day, he, he realised, actually, we need to reach and teach more people about Jesus. So Oliver Brockbank bought this land, and he built and paid for this building that we're now sitting in, and those houses next door, the two houses combined, and the whole lot. And nobody knows how much it cost, but he paid for the lot himself. Because he decided he was going to be rich towards God. He wasn't just going to be rich towards himself. He was going to live a life that was about being rich towards God. Which is a choice, isn't it? 
And then on April 28th, 1900, the work was finished here. It's a picture. And they had a, well, that isn't then taken then, but they had a party. And it lasted a whole week of special services. And on the final Sunday night, they dedicated the building to God as Ivy Cottage Mission Hall. And they invited the builders and they invited the workmen and everybody who'd built it to say thank you. And then Mr. Brockbank gave each one of them a Bible. I've got one of them here. This was given to Samuel Crompton. I did some historical research and found from the census that he lived in Didsbury. He was the local painter and decorator who'd done the work on it. And then just this week, and call it a coincidence, I've stopped believing in coincidences to do with God a long time ago. But I think God's so involved in this, I don't think anybody's here as an accident. I think God's got a call on your life. And he was speaking to you and he loves you and he wants you to know him. And on the same week, it just so happens that we rededicated this building as Ivy Central, our base of operations for planting out these new churches. Sandra here pops up on Facebook and says she just happened to be at her friend Joan's house who decided to show her their old family Bible. And Joan doesn't come here, but it belonged to her grandfather, William Manuel, who she never knew because he died before she was born. And the Bible was passed on to Joan. She was just telling me that she got it when she was eight and a half on her birthday. In 1945, she was given this. Was it for birthday or for Christmas? For Christmas. And she's loved it ever since. She's not only read it, but she knows Jesus herself. She's a Christ follower herself. And she didn't know who this Oliver Brockbank was or who'd signed this Bible, but it says in it, he'd signed it on the 28th of April, 1900. And I think that's just what Oliver Brockbank would have wanted to happen with this Bible. That generations on, somebody else would be reading it and come to know him as well. And that, because he knew what it was like. And the thing that he wrote in every one of these Bibles, he wrote various things, but for each one of them, the theme was this, and that's what we've written in the Bibles that we've given to you. Build for eternity. I think... Now, saying to Zoe, you know, I was reading in this book and today and this guy was saying about how he's got like a life motto tattooed on his arm. I'm not into tattoos, I probably won't get one. But I said, you know, if, if, you, if you could write something that was really important to you when you could see it every day, what would it be? And I thought, actually, you know, maybe that would be it for me. If I was ever going to get a tattoo, I could see every day, it would be build for eternity. It's a very, very good message. So he wrote in this one. Basically, don't let how pretty the leather covers are stop you from opening it, reading it, meeting the one who wrote it, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what he wrote in the painter's Bible. And in William the Carpenter's book, look what's written up there. And this is the message too to everybody who's built this, and if you can pass it on to the other guys who couldn't be here, how grateful we are to them as well for everything that we've done and they've done for us. Can we give them one more round of applause? So we've, we've got these Bibles and we want to pass them on to everybody who works on it, not just as a tradition, but actually as a thank you in the same way as those builders 117 years ago received one. And because we want to encourage you too to make sure that you, know, you build your life on foundation, the rock foundation. Because he wrote Build for Eternity in your Bibles and he also wrote in there, Build for Eternity on the rock foundation, Jesus Christ. What are you building your life on? Anything that's going to last, nothing on earth will last forever. This building won't last forever. No business, no government, no nation is going to last forever. But Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away. My words will never, ever pass away. Jesus came to earth to die 
to live for everybody, to love everybody, to die for everybody, to go to a cross for everybody so that every sin could be forgiven and everybody who's watching online on Facebook or anywhere else could hear that he loves you and he's got a fresh start for you tonight. And that's what we're all about as a church, to get that message out to as many people as possible. That hasn't changed since Oliver Brockbank got that great idea to build fraternity all those years ago and it's not going to change in the future. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And he wasn't talking about building a building then. He was talking about building people one life at a time, one yes at a time, one follower at a time, something that will last forever. A thousand years from now, the UK won't probably be here. You know, nations rise and empires rise. Where's the Roman Empire now? Where's the Greek Empire? Nothing man-made lasts. But the church that Jesus Christ is building will last forever. And we get invited to be a part of it. That's why every chance we get at all of our services, we invite people, we give them the invitation. Even if there's only one person, do you want to give your life to Jesus? And the way that we do it, we say, if you want to do that, stick up a hand so we can pray for you and you can get another book if you want one, but we just want to give you the invitation because if you don't know whether or not you're a Christian tonight and a Christ follower, I know you're not. And he knows you're not. Because if you were, you'd know you were. And until you are, you're not. Because it's a decision. It's a thing where you say, yeah, I will follow you. I will build my life on you. You're going to be in charge. You're going to be the foundation. And the offer's there for everybody. And I just wanted to close and to finish with that before we, we have one more song. Or we, we, let's put the last slide on. Because you might think, oh yeah, but if I say I'm going to give my life to Jesus, what will other people think? There'll come a day when it won't matter at all what other people think. It will only matter what God thinks. Forever and ever and ever. The Bible, you see, I don't know what's going to happen this year, but I do know how it's all going to end. Because the Bible tells us and it's all there, and I've read the last chapter of it too. It's a done deal. That's why I've said to God, I want to build my life on something that's never going to fail, which is your promises, your purposes, and your plan. So I'm going to pray, and I'm going to basically pray a prayer that says, God, I want to build for eternity. I want my life to count for some things that are bigger, more important, that will last forever. And the only things that are going to last forever are the are loving God, are all about loving God and loving people. So if you want to pray a prayer like that, would you bow your head with me now and we're going to pray. And just while everybody's got their eyes shut for a minute, just so I, I know, not so, and so that you'll know too that you, this is a kind of special moment for you and you want to in, me to include you in that prayer. And if it's like you've never really done this before but you felt like God's been speaking to you tonight and you'd like to say yes to him, to following him, I want to give you that opportunity. Just ask you to stick up a hand now so I can see you and I can pray for you especially tonight. If there's anybody here who wants to do that. Not going to labour it. Just give you the moment. Just to say, I want to be rich towards God. Not just towards myself. Anybody saying that for the first time? Thank you, mate. That's great. Thank you. Lord, may we live and build our lives according to your plans. Thank you that even tonight there's one person who said they want to find their way back to you in this place. Lord, we know that we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, the Bible says. Generations that have gone before us and worshipped in this place. And some of those people have now been promoted to glory, as they say. 
but they're the ones who said Jesus Christ is Lord and we want to say those words now just three words why don't you just say this Jesus is Lord because that's the foundation of a life that builds for eternity say it again Jesus is Lord everybody who believes this just declare it Jesus is Lord that's the foundation to build on that will never be shaken and that's what we're going to celebrate thanks for listening for more podcasts, go to ivychurch.org forward slash media.